A reading from Exodus. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor to do all your work. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land of the Lord that your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witness the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpets and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. A reading from Paul to the Philippians. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Jesus said, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. And then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. 
When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. And finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to Jesus, well, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at harvest time. And Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded Jesus as a prophet. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. This is actually one of the more dangerous parables in the history of interpretation. I don't know if many of you realize this, but this parable has been used to fuel Christian anti-Semitism for about 1,800 years. So uh, the interpretation Jesus gives to the chief priests and the scribes that the kingdom will be taken away from them and given to others has been read not about corrupt leadership, it's been read about how, unfortunately, Judaism is flawed and will be given to Christianity. And I'll tell you, if we read it that way, then we're sort of done with the parable, aren't we? It no longer informs us in any way. Look, that happened, done, thanks be to God. Now we have all the right answers and we're the vineyard people. Um, There's no way that's right, though. I just want you to hear, there's no way that's right. Uh, Instead, I wonder if Jesus isn't inviting us to consider this tendency that, that, that I've seen in myself and in other folks about what happens when the landowner appears to be absentee. Now, my brother at one time owned four houses uh, throughout the United States. He was in the military and he moved around, so he would just buy a house and when he left, he'd, he'd, he'd lease it or rent it. And um, I learned a quick lesson on how I didn't want to do that <laughs> because one of his tenants um, tore up his sidewalk and built a fire pit in the backyard to burn trash in. Um, she decided that since she was paying the rent, she could do whatever she wanted with the house. I-, I think the story actually is more about that tendency than what I began with, the dangerous one. The tendency we have to forget why it is that we do the things we do the tendency that we might have sometimes to think this is all about something it's not supposed to be about, a tendency to be devoted to wine and winemaking and to forget that it's supposed to be shared. Now, I just want to talk about the church a little bit, if that's okay. So I think my experience of the church 
has used this parable, as I said, to talk about the superiority of Christianity, uh, which is a great way to escape the criticism that really applies to us. Um, this criticism being that in some ways, um, we mark ourselves as the people who are protecting God's vineyard, and we're the ones storing up God's grace. And golly, we're sure loath to let anybody in, right? We have a wall and a watchtower, and if you come knocking at the door, forget it, you can't have it. And, and I think every single one of us has stories, if not our own and family members, of times when people have said, church, will you please give me God's grace in blank way, and church has said, no, for great reasons, like you're not worthy, or um, <laughs> you're not dressed right, or you don't believe enough of the right things for that grace to even mean anything to you. What am I talking about um, specifically? And I, and I want to be really careful because, you know, the examples I'm going to give you are personal ones, and of course they're not representative of the group. But to be honest, I grew up in churches where um, you weren't welcome to receive communion unless the pastor knew that you believed the right things. And we were positive at the time that um, if you received communion with the wrong intention, it would hurt you spiritually. Imagine that. You would encounter God and it would hurt you. So we were so sure that, that, that an encounter with God could go south, we tried really hard to make sure uh, the people who didn't deserve it or, you know, whatever, didn't take it. And that was our Christian duty, was to stop them from having communion. Um, I had this experience with another friend at their church. I actually went to see the Pope in 2000, and I had this friend. We were in Israel for a week, and we were seeing the Pope in Bethlehem, and it was time for that big papal mass. We got up five hours early to go to it, and there we were. Um, and my friend said, you know, of course, don't, don't try to take that. <laughs> because um, you're not Catholic and you can't have it. And <laughs> I thought, wait, wait a minute, what do, you, what do you mean? He said, well, no, it's actually my Catholic duty to prohibit you from having the sacrament as a non-Catholic because you defile yourself. Um, now, now, listen, I grew up in the church doing that same thing. That's what I want you to hear. We just did it a different way. And I've been in plenty of churches where we said, hey, if you want to have communion, just make sure you're a baptized Christian and you'll be fine. Make sure you're, you've done these other two hoops that we haven't even defined for you, and then you can go have an encounter with God, and God won't hurt you much. <laughs> this is how we did it. And, and, and you know, I want to tell you, uh, lest I sound like the hero in my own story, um, when I was training to be a priest, we had to take something called the general ordination exam, and it was a three-day, 21-page essay test. It's like the clergy bar, except now it's just pass-fail, you know, because uh, we don't want to, you know, compare scores as priests. Well, actually, we do. Uh, the church decided we shouldn't do that, so, so now it's pass-fail. And one of the questions I got, and this is like five years ago, no, seven, um, was about whether or not we should do this thing called ashes to go. Has anybody heard of this before? Ashes to go would be like drive through Ash Wednesday, or like where you go downtown with a sign on Ash Wednesday and say, here's ashes if you want them. And, and of course the idea is to make church more accessible to folks. Well, I'm just going to tell you, I wrote a scathing critique of the practice. <laughs> I did. I was so adamant that, you know, if people don't have time to come repent, they don't get the goodies. Because we all want ashes on our head, right? I mean, I, and, and I passed, you know, I had a really great response. And um, I don't know why I decided we'd do it here <laughs> two years ago, but I decided we'd do it at St. Thomas. 
in the first person made me realize just what a dunderhead I'd been. It was somebody who had come to this church and they'd been hurt here. They'd been hurt by something somebody had said to them and it was a deep hurt. And they so wanted to be included in church but they just couldn't come in the building. They couldn't come in. They could drive through because that's not where they got hurt. They got hurt here in this room. And I realized by putting up that hedge and keeping them out from this wine, you know, I was just hoarding it and that they were starving for it. And, 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 and I wonder if Jesus isn't asking us to consider who the wine's for and how we should guard it or rather how we should offer it. And one of the neat things about being a priest is in general, I only work on Sunday mornings, but sometimes I get asked to do things during the week, and, and sometimes they're not by Episcopalians. These are what I playfully call tourist services, where people just want a church to say yes, and they have no idea how we do it. And, and, and here's what that looks like in three short vignettes. Um, I did a quinceanera, uh, and, and I didn't even know you did that in church, and, and the family asked me to do it, and you know, I just, I worked to figure this out, you know, and, and worked hard to get this service, and there were like a hundred people here, and I think the only people doing the service were the verger and myself, um, so I, I kept looking out and saying, let's pray this one together, and they just looked at me, and, and I'm just glad the verger prayed with me when <laughs> we were not alone because, <laughs> wow, how awkward that was. And at the end, you know, I thought in my head, maybe I should have put up the hedge on this one because, you know, I'm not really sure why they wanted to do this in church. They weren't praying or anything. The gratitude they had for being included, for including their daughter's 15th birthday. I mean, I didn't understand why they would have so much, but it was effervescent and overflowing. And it was one of those tourist services, you know? It's one of those neat things where the whole time you wonder if anybody cares about what you're doing and you realize that isn't why you did it anyway. You did it because God cared about why they were there in the first place. Tourist funeral. <laughs> we had a dear old lady dear old lady she she was really involved here her whole family was fundamentalist christian evangelicals they wanted to have the family here right one because that's how mom worshiped and um i can tell you we planned the thing in my office and and that went okay and then came time for the service and i came in the back door and they saw i was wearing this and there was an audible gasp <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it wasn't that loud but but it was loud <laughs> uh, they didn't know the priest wore dresses, and they just couldn't believe that, you know? Uh, and I, you could tell in their face, like, what did we get ourselves into? And, and so I sort of looked at this shell shock. look, we got to communion, and I think it was the Virgin. Now, they wanted communion, but I think the Virgin and I served each other, and then we just sort of sat down because nobody else wanted it. Um, and it was one of those. And at the end, what was amazing, right, is when they said, you know, I had no idea mom worshipped like this. <laughs> but I think I have some idea why now. They're not ever going to come back here. And they shouldn't. The grace was they wanted the church to bury their mother. And the church said yes. 
I was at the hospital visiting somebody this week, and this is strange because I was wearing my blue shirt. And I'll tell you, most people don't know what the blue shirt is. I do well in the hospital when I wear the little tab, you know, because everybody thinks you're Catholic, which is good, right? Because <laughs> when you're wearing that thing, nurses will violate HIPAA, and they'll tell you everything about the patients you ever want to know, which is great, you know? The Father, I want you to know about this person. So anyway, I'm wearing the blue, and, and most people don't know it, and I visited somebody, had a great visit. I'm on my way out to the elevator and a nurse grabs me and says are you one of the chaplains and I said no but I'm a priest and I said well you need to get in that room over there they need someone to do the last rites and okay you know so I, I just went over in the room and and I opened the door and I said I heard that you might need a priest and I said yes we need a we need a Catholic priest <laughs> and they said well I'm not that but I am an Episcopal priest and and um that's kind of Catholic and <laughs> And they said, well, we're, we've been told the priest is on the way. And I said, okay, you know, that's fine. The, the, the office people said that, that, that you know, that, that you might want somebody. So if I can do anything for you, I'd like to uh, support you, you know. And they sort of looked at each other and they said, well, since you're here, why don't you come in as long as it won't hurt to get it again from the, the Catholic priest. <laughs> I said, I don't think it'll hurt, you know. I think it'll be okay. Like, the point is it doesn't hurt, that it helps. So, so it actually was this very awkward encounter, you know, and at the end of which, um, like, these people hugged me because, of course, what they wanted, right, is for somebody to represent the church at their mother's time of death and say, you know, it was going to be all right. God's got your mom. That's what they wanted they wanted that more than they wanted a Catholic priest. They wanted the, somebody to stand there and say, God's got your mom. And, um, and that's one of those moments that I said yes. And, and I think that's what Jesus is asking us to reconsider. What's our gut response when we're asked to share the wine that God intends for the world? Do we say no? Do we say yes? Or do we, and I think this is the, the bit about the, the Hebrew Bible reading, do we go about on minimums? See, we read this thing today from, from Exodus, and we all know this lovingly. These are called the ten, the ten Commandments, right? And if we could just live by the Ten Commandments, the world would be a better place. And that's probably right. There, there, at least there wouldn't be lying and killing and coveting my donkey. Um, and that would all be good. But you know what's interesting about the Ten Commandments is the Bible never calls them that. The Bible calls them the Ten Words. In Hebrew, these are called the Devarim. And maybe you've heard of this before. In Greek, it's called the Decalogue. Has anybody heard this, the Decalogue? Decalogue means, what do you know, Ten Words. And it makes you think about this, um, this, this story. See, the Hebrew people have been slaves for 200 years. They've been told what to do their whole lives. Pick up, build that, bricks on a straw, build Pithom, build Ramses, build all these you know, wonderful things in Egypt. And now they've been liberated, and of course, they've never had to be responsible for how they live. Other people have always told them what to do. And now they're invited up here to talk to God about how they're going to live a different life now that they're free from the oppressor. And notice their response. Don't have God talk to us, you just tell us what to do. These people are so used to being told what to do that that's what they want. They want to be told what to do. So when they hear ten words, they turn them into commandments. But they're words. And I want you to think about how if we lived by the ten commandments and stopped... The world might be a safer place, but I'm not convinced it'd be much better of a place. See, 
I live next to people that I don't steal from or lie to, and I don't cover their donkey or their car because I don't see them. We don't talk. And as long as I ignore them, I'll never want their stuff, and I'll never be able to kill them. <laughs> Those prohibitions are about minimums. It is hard to be a good neighbor when you kill each other. However, that's not the basis of neighborhood. The basis of neighborhood, right, is that we care for each other. Did you notice that there wasn't one of these ten words that says, do care? And this, I think, is something that we do with absentee land ownership, is we take the minimum rules and we turn them into the maximum that we'll do. And I wonder if this reading isn't asking us to question our whole minimal, maximal system. And what if, what if instead we heard, do charity, do justice? Well, of course that'd be uncomfortable, because how would we know we've done it enough? And that, I think, is the thing we worry about. We take these words and we make them commandments because we can say, oh, I didn't kill my neighbor, I'm pretty good, you know? Um, I didn't look at their donkey because um, I didn't visit them, so we're good. Uh, I'm positive that's not what God intends. I'm positive that these are starting places for us to consider how do we, what are the ground rules that we, we can then build up I wonder, going back to the vineyard story, I mean, Jesus could be telling the parable about himself, right? He could be saying, uh, and, and, and if he is, this is weird, isn't it, that God sends a group of servants who get beat up and killed, so, so then there's another group that's slightly bigger, and they get beat up and killed, and the third response is, I'll send my son by himself. That'll go well. Uh, that's a really confusing line of thought, right? And typically we say, the son's Jesus, because that, that's how we interpret it. But what if it isn't Jesus? What if the son is the person who desperately wants the church to be a conduit of God's grace? What if the, the son in the story is any one of God's children? Maybe even one that doesn't believe in God at all, who comes to the church and says, can I have a share of that wine that I heard you're making on God's behalf? Can I have some? And what if instead of throwing them out and saying, you don't deserve it, what if instead we said, come on in to the maximum? Now listen, standards are important all along the way. Because the truth is, if I made wine with my feet, you would want me to at least wash them first. So, so, so there's, there's some negotiation on that, right? But in general, what if we took seriously that we're children of the living God and our job is to cultivate and to serve and to offer and nourish the people of the world with God's grace? And what if the doors were kept open? What if our first response was, Yes. Yes, and tell me how I can do more. Well, I think if that were our response, we'd be a lot closer to the party we had yesterday where people permeated the doors and the borders and had a really great time at church. 
instead of the experiences we've all had to the contrary. And surely isn't that the kind of stewardship of grace God intends us to exert?